What's the crack? Welcome back to the Irish Vice Podcast. We are back again after the Christmas period. Christmas period hampered by sickness, I would say. Just to discuss everything that's come up in the last two games from Manchester United and then I'll look ahead to see what is coming up for Manchester United. I'm here with my mum. How are you? All good. You still feeling sick? <sighs> the dregs of it. Different symptoms. I don't know what I got. Some virus of some sort, but I'm over the worst of it, thank God. I'm in the heat of it at the minute. It's pretty rough. Yeah, it is. And do you know what? I was slagging off like professional footballers and stuff and the amount of them that actually succumbed to sickness over that Christmas period. But now I have total sympathy for them because it's debilitating. It's very hard to shake. It really is. In terms of Manchester United and the two games that you watched? One good, one bad. One good, one bad. Yeah. But we'll get into that. So as usual in family therapy, we usually cover four topics. So what we're going to go for today is just a write-up of the last two games, our thoughts and feelings. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest transfer news, plaguing the social media trends. Then we're going to have a look ahead to the next few weeks to come. And then to wrap us up, we're just going to go through some tentative expectations for 2024. Ooh, very tentative. <laughs> So yes, let's kick it off. The West Ham game. What do you think? It was poor, but I watched the game last night between West Ham and Arsenal. And it's well, it didn't buoy me in a way, but West Ham, Arsenal had so many chances in that game. Yep. Never took their chances. And I keep saying to you especially, to win a match you need to score goals. That's exactly it. I think I said this to you over the Christmas period. Arsenal's strike force does not give me any confidence that they can win anything. I don't like Eddie Nketiah. I don't see the hype around that lad. I think he's a good striker and that's it. I think it's because they're English that hype them. Yeah, and Gabriel Jesus as well, I think is good. But without, yoke. Yeah, I mean, Gabriel Jesus reminds me a bit of Roberto Firmino, where they make a living off being a productive outlet for other players around them. But when those other players around them can't no, score and you don't have a goal scoring forward, you know, you're, you're kind of fucked in that sense. You know, you, it just doesn't work. But yeah, the West Ham game we talk all the time in this podcast about excuses and I always try and hammer back and say but we have we have a legitimate excuse for that one in the fact that all of our centre-backs were out and we're dragging Johnny Evans up to play with one of the youth players that he was meant to be coaching essentially this year exactly we were the dregs in that match crazy but same old story again with our forward line and I just watched that's I'll go back to the Arsenal match last night they had chance after chance and just couldn't put it in the back of the net and that's what counts yeah and you know it's a funny one because this is the first time I think we've sat and we haven't done pre and post game analysis so we're talking about everything in hindsight and I probably would have went off on one in the West Ham game when I oh, seen Scott was coming oh you if memory serves you did go off on one I just don't like the way he integrates Kobe Mania into the team, who has the potential to be a world star. And I mean that, a world star. He's a fantastically gifted footballer. And he leaves him in the lone six and plays him with Scott McTominay, who drifts. Do you know what I mean? It, in the heel of the West Ham game, I probably wouldn't be as nice uh, towards Arthur as I am now and give him those excuses. Yes, he's missing his two centre-backs, but still decision-making baffles me a bit. The Villa game. Oh, totally different. What a tale of two halves. I think that's because Villa held that high line and we exploited that with those runs in behind with Marcus Rashford, who I was impressed with because he's been shocking this season. But that game suited Marcus Rashford and Garnacho. Yeah, do you know, the Villa game was one of those games where you watch it and you watch it back, right? And I was completely annoyed when I seen the two goals going. I was like, this is, this is it again. The goalkeeper should have done better with the first. The second one is an absolute clusterfuck of errors from those centre-backs 
and yeah. Maybach. It definitely was on brand. Lack of cohesion there, I think. Yeah. Lack of, uh, like we all always talk about the balance and partnerships and whatnot, it really shined through in the Villa goal. You know, when your backs are against the wall, Villa have put a nonsense ball into the box and it comes straight to the back post and, and we just let it go. Yeah. You know, stupid. Is that because of the zonal marking, do you think? I, I'm a big fan of man marking. I don't like the zonal marking. I, it could be. It could be. I'm more inclined to think that it's the chaplain changing of the defensive personnel. Oh, as well, yeah. And they have no reading of the game as a collective. I mean, if the ball comes into the box, right, and somebody knocks the ball out to the man at the back post, then you'll turn around and you'll blame the individual. If the collective four have no awareness of that man at the back post, then they haven't spoke to each other. There's zero communication and there's zero cohesion in the back lane. And then you have to point to... And this is me making excuses for him, but you have to point to, right, well, is that really his fault? These four have been shifted, rotated in and out with sickness, injuries, whatever, you know. You could give him that lapse. And in the heat of the moment, it was disgusted and thought, here we go again. But Patrice Evers spoke really well. I don't think that was a brilliant showing from Aston Villa. I thought Villa were a lot better than what I seen when they played Manchester United. Even in the first half. I mean, Villa had chances, but United again masters of their own downfall and giving the ball away high up the pitch and allowing Villa to come on to Oh, absolutely. And our Jacken and Hyde goalkeeper because he's culpable for some goals and then he keeps us in the match with some of the saves that he makes. I mean, watch it back. It's smart from Villa. It is. Villa know that he's a goalkeeper under pressure. Bailey's in annoying him from behind. I don't think that made a massive influence on it, but we've seen it with another goal this season where Andrew Nani gets confused when players run across his face in the box. He looks like a deer caught in the headlights and Villa exposed that. Ball gets whipped in, two players run towards the ball, ultimately nobody touches it, but Onana is so indecisive that he doesn't come and collect the ball. You know, He doesn't have a stature from crosses into the box, Andrew Onana. He doesn't have a commanding presence, I think is the phrase yeah. I'm searching for. Yes. So. No, not yet. And that needs to desperately improve. But you take... What I thought was a poor showing from Aston Villa, you get into the changing room at Old Trafford and you need to respond, and my God, did they? Like, I think that puts to bed any notion that they're not, and even my notions that they're not playing for this moment. Well, they definitely are playing for They are. And you've seen the, um, the reaction after the match. There's all high fives and all togetherness and congratulating each other, and even with Eric Ten Hag. So I don't think they're down to us. I don't think that... I think Eric Ten Hag, his big problem is he's trying to implement a style that they're not used to playing. I think he, he let it... There was a bye last year because he needed he needed results. Yeah. And he played counter-attacking football. But having said that, that's the way to exploit a team playing that high line. Because we were caught offside so much in the first half and it was so frustrating to watch. And then they got it right the second half. They did. They did get it right. i tell you what was really interesting to see. Marcus Rashford on the left, Alejandro Garnacho on the right. Every week for me. Mm, Every yeah. week. It was so much more productive. There were phases of playing, I think I said this to you during and after the game, that really annoyed me, where both Rashford and Garnacho are very, very good at getting themselves in the right positions themselves. And then when it comes to playing that cohesive football with each other, they were playing passes and crosses that I just thought, well, that's not becoming of a player at your standard and then it clicks and they get it right twice one that was offside and one that was eventually onside Marcus Rashford's cross so that goes brilliant yeah but Marcus Rashford our forward line has to do that more yeah instead of playing for themselves have to get their heads up be aware 
who is around them and play that pass. And do you think that is the the start of a cohesive three for Manchester United? Do you think that should be the starting three? Because the interesting thing here is you're not a fan of Rashford. No. And I don't think that Garnacho should start week in, week out because I think he's still very raw and I think his decision-making at times is um, is poor. Comes and he's to selfish. And he is. He's selfish. He's very, very selfish. But do you think that's the starting three? Because I would have to admit it's the best three that I've seen. At and present, yes. most definitely, yes. But do you think Anthony walks back in? No. No, no I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have Anthony near the first team there at the minute. I tell you, there's a brilliant training clip came out of today. If anyone is following any Manchester United social page, go and watch it. It's on Instagram and it's on Twitter. It's them doing one-on-one training. Have a look at it after this month. Watch Ahmed Diallo in his one-on-one when he is going up against Willie Quambla and watch Anthony when Anthony goes up against Dan Gore. Now, I'm going to go out and say Quamble is a better defender than Dan Gore. Jallo looked 100 times better than Anthony. It was quick, it was decisive, he got round and he scored. End of story. Anthony beats a man, takes the ball back, tries to beat him again, and you just get Stops. fed up watching it. Yeah. Like, what are you doing with? Sometimes I look at Anthony and I think, is he bored? As if he got ADHD? Yeah. Because he will beat the man, and then he will take the ball back, and then he will try and beat him again. I 100% agree. And that is the most frustrating thing to watch instead of, and he has got pace, beat the man, run the byline, whip the ball in. It's all you have to do. And he's, I sat and watched the coaches watching him and I thought, is somebody going to pull that lad afterwards and turn around and say, you shouldn't be doing that? Watch her around him, just go. Yeah. Now is the time to use your pace. You've done the feint, you've done the dummy, you've done the skill move. Use your pace and take off there, lad. But it's it's like a, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or... This is the style of play. It's uh, just a wally. But yeah, I mean, another brilliant thing in the Aston Villa game, and he came on at the end of the game, and I thought he played well when he came on. Scott McTominay dropped for Christian Eriksen. In the first half, it really irked me, because it was the same tactics. Christian Eriksen came in, and Christian Eriksen did the Scott McTominay role, essentially, for the first half. He was so far away from the other midfield players. He was up where Bruno was, and he was trying to push high up the pitch, and it was the two advanced hands and stuff again. I thought, oh... They're not going to catch us here. And you could see it in the first half. Mm. I think you said it. You nailed it. Manchester United couldn't find the killer pass in the final third. And when you give the ball away like that, you invite teams onto you. And Eriksen was almost too far out of the midfield to provide effective cover. And the young fella gets caught in his own again. It was just brilliant to see Eriksen back. Even though he played that role in the first half. In the second, you've seen everything that he Christian Eriksen He dropped a bit deeper. Do. He's a quality player. He is. Christian Eriksen can do that line-breaking pass. Scott McTominay cannot. I mean, he's not the calibre of player that's going to get you to a title. No, not now. No. I agree with you. But he's I also don't think he's player. top four material, Christian Erson. Not, not in the advanced league that we're seeing. But as an option when you're playing the likes of... But I still would like to see Mason Mount integrate it back. But anyway, look, I said they would lose both games. They lost one, they won one. Aston Villa second half really buoyed me that Manchester United could actually do something this season. I just... Don't know if he continues with the tactics we've seen in the first half or the second. It Nottingham Forest, the next game's tomorrow is going to be totally different because Nottingham Forest will sit deep. And a loss tomorrow will just overshadow that good win against Villa. He has to keep this... The team have to be more consistent in winning matches. Now, all the teams around us are dropping points, which, in my opinion, our position in the league is a bit inflated. Because the teams around us are dropping points. This league is madness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, I think we were talking about the Tottenham game last night, and they said, you're expecting Spurs to get thumped. No team's going to survive with playing two full-backs in with centre-backs, but that is the necessity that has befallen a couple of teams this season. Newcastle have gone through a bit of it. Manchester United are dragging in youth players and 35-year-old players who weren't meant to get near the team to play centre-back. That's the position a couple of us are finding ourselves in. So it's going to be interesting to see who's who has seen the right thing, I think, this season so far. Yourself and Kieran have been big believers of the injuries playing a massive factor in things, of you know him not being able to play his first team. And I've argued back and said, no, I don't think the football's good enough. I think we're going to see it come up soon. Yeah, and especially the end of January when a lot of players will be back. Casemiro will be back. Martinez will be back. Mike will be back. Yeah. Then he's going to have his pick and choice of, you know, he's, got, he's going to have a much better selection. At, you know, for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's no quality players on our bench. You look at our bench. Was it against Villa? Yes. At the amount of academy players. I think in that match, somebody said there was eight academy players that played that match. Like, you take those players that were sitting on the bench are going to go out and loan next month. Probably. Dan Gore is... Brucey Dortmund is looking at... Well, I think... Brucey Dortmund is looking to buy Dan Gore. Memory. Memory was an interesting one. Yeah. Our, not only is the first team stretched... The, the bench is stretched as well. Yeah, and I think we've segued into our look at the next couple of weeks for Manchester United and what's going to come up. Nottingham Forest is massive now. Because Nottingham Forest then finds whether Manchester United are going to go on a run, whether they've turned a corner, whether the second half performance against Aston Villa is Sorry, through. Sorry, excuse me, Rory. Nottingham Forest is massive because Nottingham Forest have the momentum now with going to Newcastle and beating Newcastle in their backyard. Yeah, I think it's bigger for us. Oh, Because it is. you have the doom and gloomists like me who were looking at results like Aston Villa and celebrated as a Manchester United fan and then instantly thought, I don't believe that's a true reflection of Manchester United. I think that was a reaction to going 2-0 down at Old Trafford. And that is what is going to happen when you have superstars like we do. And I don't think Manchester United will sustain a charge up the table. But I could be wrong. I think it's down to individual brilliant quality that Manchester United have in their team that we see these sort of wins and reactions and all that. But the testament to a good football team is whether you can go from start to finish, control the game and put teams away. Still yet to see it, although the Villa performance was brilliant. It, the second half was brilliant. But I think that was reactional I instead think, of being tactical. No, I think the football was good. I have to disagree. The football was brilliant, but I think you said it earlier, it was a bit counter-attacking, wasn't it? Villa played a high line, we let Villa come on to us and then we called them out. That's the way to beat that high line, is counter-attacking football. Totally. He's going to have to be more pragmatic in his in-game plan but what happens tomorrow and I'm interested I'm not asking you this question I'm interested asking the universe this question if you will what happens tomorrow when you come up against the deep Nottingham Forest and we're back to the Hag ball the slow prodding football around the back line into the midfield and trying to find ways beyond a team that doesn't really want to play football just wants to get out with the result and that's going to be the interesting one to watch well I think the thing that encouraged me about the um, the Villa match as well is that Christian Eriksen in the middle of the park Progress the ball a lot quicker. He did. It was quicker. It was quicker. It was fast. And faster. that suited the forward line. It really did. So over the next couple of weeks, United play not in the first tomorrow. Then we've got a reprieve until the Wigan game. And then we only play 
Spurs, is it again in the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. Spurs the next one. That's a nice month for a team struggling with injuries. But that's the month that we need. So I see Manchester United. And then there's no excuses, Rory. There's not. There's no excuses at all. I can see United going into the game tomorrow at the half five kickoff and losing, but then beating Spurs. I think that would just be very Manchester United esque. I think Spurs are going to look for the reprieve as much as we are. But I don't know. I just think in the quick turnaround of games and the inconsistencies we're seeing across the league, depending on the team we have available tomorrow, I don't see us beating Forest. I think Forest momentum kind of takes them past us because we're away from home and I'm expecting to see the same United that uh, that I've seen for most I, of the season. I disagree with you. I don't think we'd be as complacent as we were against West Ham. I think we can't afford to be because we've had a shocking start to the season. And I think every game from here on in is massive. Dude, it's cup finals time. Yeah. really is. To progress into the top four now, um, he's going to have to ride the wave of inconsistency that we're seeing across the Premier League. Everybody dropping points here, there, everywhere, and capitalise now. Oh, like, tomorrow absolutely. should be a win. He should be approaching this game to decimate Nottingham Forest and put himself in contention for top four now. He has a chance. But it remains to be seen whether he can do it. Then we just have, not just have, but we've got Wigan in the FA Cup. That's a nice one for the kids, I think. Wigan aren't playing particularly well. I think he'll put full strength out. Well, that's the way he does it, isn't it? Yeah, it's not even that. He's he's out of that Carabao Cup, is it? Carabao Cup? League yeah, Carabao Cup. Now. And um, that's the only domestic cup he can go for. We're out of the Champions League. Yeah. So we have, if, no, I think he will go for the FA Cup. I think he'll go strong for the, I think, strong selection for the FA Cup. I would like to see us win the FA Cup. I mean, for the first time in a long while, he's got something like a full week between yeah. the Nottingham Forest and the Wigan game. And then he has six days more, I think, before he plays Spurs. And then after that, he gets two weeks off, more than two weeks off, before he has to play Wolves. That's a good break. That's a good break, especially good break. for the teams in the Premier League who are really suffering from and injuries. That's, I think, at present, that's what that team needs. Yeah. People coming back from long term injury, not overusing them. Yeah. And good rest period in between matches. It's one of those pieces that kind of segues into what we want to talk about, which is the transfer rumours and everything banding about and who could be there and who couldn't. It's all the arse rumours. <laughs> it is. Two of the big ones, two of the biggest ones for me. And we're talking about players coming back and using those those easier, you know, restful weeks to get people back. Casemiro and Veron. Now, I have been intentionally trying to stay away from the transfer news of Manchester United because a lot of it's negative over Christmas, but I know you're on it every year. Casemiro, is he staying, going? What's the crack with Casemiro? Apparently, the rumour from going is just that, rumour. So he's staying? He's staying until the summer. Perfect. There's no talk of him going... Well, this is um, Romano. said there's no talk. He hasn't heard any talk from going... To Saudi Arabia, yes, there's interest, but not concrete interest. And I think the only way that United will let Varane or Casemiro leave in January, I can't see it personally myself, is if big money comes in for them. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I don't want to see Rafael Varane or Casemiro go because they are essential, in my opinion, now to any sort of a push for top four. Like, I think Ten Hag is going to be in charge until... I thought he'd be in charge until January. We'll see what way that plays out. But if we take the coach and the manager out of it, as a team, Casemiro and Varane are two of our potentially best players. 
you don't want to be losing them people and then if you lose them even for a big money mum you have to scramble about in January which is a shitty transfer window to try and replace them I can't see us buying anyone in January I seen that Sean Clerc-Tadibo was heavily linked to Totten do you think that happens? Now, I don't know the ins and outs of this transfer rumour, but from the limited stuff that I've read, Sean Clerc-Debo has a release clause of £50 million. So if you pay the £50 million release clause, you have the right to talk to the player. So I thought, one of my friends texted me across, Shane texted me across and said, would you see Tadebo will go to Tottenham? And I said, no chance. Or Chairman will block that. You know, any of us isn't going to let an asset that they want to move to Manchester and move to any other football club. But if Tottenham pay £50 million, then they have the right to speak to him. And they've got 50 million and we don't. Well, what's the stance with the selling club? Do they have to sell? If you activate the release clause, yeah. That was the, right, the reason okay. they were invented. Now, the original intention of a mm. release clause was to set a fair price for a player that if the buying club wants to pay to activate the release clause, then all clubs are happy. So Nisov, obviously, if it's true that he has a 50 million release clause, that's how much Nice value him at. It could be activated by Charlton, and Charlton would have the right to speak to the table. I know what you're saying, the right to speak, but do the selling club have to sell? Yes. Right, okay. The selling club are essentially removed from the equation. It then becomes a negotiation between the player and the club that wants to buy him that is willing to pay the release clause. So when you put the money up and you say, right, 50 million down, we want to speak to the table. And then Tadebo comes along and he'll either turn around and say, you know, I don't want to go to Tottenham, or he'll say, I want to go to Tottenham if you pay me 150 grand a week. And mm-hmm. Tottenham then can say yes, and he, he moves. Normally get all Money to hogs, players walk. Yeah, exactly. Essentially it. Although I did see in the gossip columns now this morning, they're also looking, United are also looking at a young defender from Atalanta. Atalanta, same club as Jallo. Yeah. So there'd be a relationship there. I don't, I don't know. It's just, look, it's one of many. There's also that lad from um, Sporting. Yeah, the lad from Sporting is heavily linked. Now he is yeah, a quality he's player. As well, isn't he? He's linked with a few. This yeah. is Ignacio fella. Yes. Yeah, and then there is the guy from Monaco is also linked to a handful of teams. So you just don't know. But I thought we were, you know, very, very interested in Tadibo and then Tadibo was linked to Spurs, so it just felt like another hit when I read that. And Ange has been, you know, so positive about Tottenham's business in January yesterday he said you know we will be looking to do deals early and we will be pursuing our targets early and you're like oh, this feels like another one getting away but you then you don't know how interested Tanag is but and you don't know what budget any of us have set yeah so and if there is speculation over Eric Tanag would you give him a transfer budget uh, yes and I'll tell you why because Manchester United need to get top four above all else and he needs to have a, an experienced striker to come in. He needs Anthony Marshall to go and he needs a defender to come in. And not a young defender, not a, a chance defender. He needs an established defender. To come. So I think they will give him some sort of budget to play with. Or will it be um, sell to buy? If we can get rid of players yeah. next month. Now I know that there's not a whole lot of interest in our players, isn't there? Not they're they're struggling to find a buyer for Anthony Marshall. They're struggling to find a buyer for uh, Jane Sancho. That's his wages. Donny's going on loan. Yeah. Getting a small loan fee for Donny. He's going out. Can't sell in. Hannibal Mebry is skipping Afcon to negotiate a loan deal. Dan Gore, Bruce Dortmund. It's gathering. That's a loan. No, apparently not. Apparently, Bruce Dortmund have seen something in Dan Gore. And they want to do the Jaden Sancho, Jude Bellingham thing. I don't know enough about Dan Gore to be 
He's a good wee player. Is Most he first team quality? Not yet. Not in my opinion. I've seen a lot of people crack up recently over this uh, Alvaro Fernandez, the lad playing for Granada. The people are losing their minds saying that this lad is, you know, he's the replacement for Luke Shaw and a man who could establish himself as Manchester United's left back for years to come. And I watched him play a couple of times. What the fuck are you talking about? Very good player in the under 21s or 23s, whatever they are. Um, and, <coughs> excuse me, he'd be a brilliant wing back. But as a defender, he's got a long way to go. He's a Spanish Diogo Dallo. Diogo Dallo's not bad. Can't defend. True. Alvaro Fernandez is would be a great player if you're playing a back three. Yeah, which we don't. Which we don't. So, as Alvaro Fernandez is excellent at going forward. Now I'm talking excellent at going forward. But a defender, he's an awful lot of work to do. Yeah. An awful lot of development. Yeah. I'm just going to say apologies at this stage. You can hear a bit of rattling and stuff in the background. That's me trying to stop myself from coughing up a lung. <laughs> this is the most I've had to talk, I think, all Christmas. Mm. Which has uh, been glorious. <clears throat> sure you've enjoyed that one. Yeah. I couldn't even voice my opinions to people off the podcast. Oh, yeah. It was glorious. Did you enjoy that, yeah? Yeah, I did. <laughs> this is like a cathartic experience. Every time you get on, you just get so much off your chest. Uh, but yes, another transfer rumour I've seen was Joshua Sherksy. He's playing for Bologna now. He used to play for Bayern Munich. He's a forward player. They were talking about him potentially coming in. But I don't... Like, you asked me oh, what to think of... sorry, Rory. The big one this morning. Go for it. Joshua Kimmich. Apparently has fallen out. <laughs> Seriously. Apparently has fallen out with Tommy. And um, oh. he's been linked. He's been linked to everybody. But he's also been linked to us. Joshua Kimmich, the United's. Yeah. Um, if any United fan has any hopes of that you're setting yourself up for disappointment yeah. Joshua Kimmich is never in a million years going to trade Bayern Munich for Manchester United do you know where Kimmich will go? City yeah Benzema going to City alright yeah as the replacement for Kovacic they didn't replace Gondwin properly bringing in Kovacic for Gondwin was a mistake yeah. and one that's costing them points this season but that would be the stellar sort of sign in the Pep Guardiola would want Gordiola has had dealings with Kimmich in the past. I can see that. But not teenated. No, I don't think so. I mean, if any of us, any of us wanted to flex their weight, they could maybe bid for him. But I don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I can't see Joshua Kimmich in a United shirt. Can you? I'd love to see Kimmich in a United shirt. Remove the hopium. Talk to me realistically. Do you think that's viable? No. No, I don't think so. I'll tell you who would be. And uh, I was reading a few reports on it. Uh, there are a few people from the Saudi Arabian uh, football clubs who can move on loan. Oh, Firmino, you're talking about? I would take him. I mean, if, I don't think he'd do it to Liverpool, but I would take him. No, he wouldn't do it to Liverpool. Why are we not linked to Karim Benzema? Because he's finished, Rory. Oh, God, Mum, no. Oh, yes, 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 he is. No. He's finished. Have to disagree. I no. can see Karim Benzema take him to the France. Premier League. No, no, I'm going to disagree with you again. I'd have Benzema. I'd have Benzema. I would. You're looking for an experienced tiger to come in when you've very low budget and you just need someone to come in and do a job, stand he's up and score goals. Absolutely Benzema. logical, but he's finished. I'm not all about saying in the laugh, but you're talking about the back end of this season. Carrying Benzema he, to play with those strikers. He's in phenomenal wages. Phenomenal. 
Yeah, but the Saudi clubs are going to have to eat a portion of those wages to let... I mean, the Saudi clubs have essentially got a Manchester United scenario on their hands now. Them lads are either going to be doing nothing for the months that they're off, or they could be playing for European football clubs who will take a portion of their salary. Because when they're off, they're still getting paid full salary. Of course, yeah. So does it not make more sense if we turn around and say, look, we'll pay Benzema 150 grand a week, you guys pay the rest, and then I'm coming playing a United tour. I would take Benzema or beat my mod. Really, really would. I've seen the list of people who are playing over there, and, well, I mean, Ruben Neves is the one, isn't he? Yeah. Everyone will want Ruben Neves. Isn't he linked with Newcastle? He is heavily, yeah. He is. I think there's a controlling stake at play there. I think the owners in Newcastle own the club that he's at and all that Saudi yeah. crap. And so, yeah, I could see that one happening. But if you're offering me anybody from the Saudi League... Benzema would be the one. I'd like to take Ronaldo back, but he doesn't get on with it. Definitely not. He doesn't get on with it. He's scoring goals for fun over there. Like, but so that is indicative of that league. Very true, very true. So, yeah, I mean, transfer-wise, there's nothing concrete then, is what you're saying. It's all Nothing really concrete. Romano has... Romano. I mean, our club have come out a few times in the past couple of weeks. Our manager, our, CEO, our new standing CEO, somebody else, the CFO or marketing manager, whatever it was, and said, look, don't expect signings. You know, financial fair play is still at stake here. We haven't ratified the any hostile, there's no cash injection, don't be expecting signings. Yep, we're poor. We're poor, so it could be loan deals. Interesting to see how that develops now over the next couple of weeks. But I think the segment I was most excited for is we're essentially halfway through the season. We have seen Ayrton Hag's vision kind of for Manchester United. Hasn't all gone according to plan. Have you got high hopes for the back end of 2024 or are you, you nervous to see You're what happens? You're asking an optimist if I have high hopes. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks now and we've seen, I think we've seen a couple of our points that we've made be proven right. I was wrong in the Villa one. I didn't expect that reaction from Manchester United. It blew me away. It was such a positive experience to watch Garnacho and Hoivlin and these lads fight for each other. And, do you know, it, it just it showed me that there is individual brilliance within Manchester United there is a core of a team there that could be special coach them to be a collective and we have a winning formula what was that word? collective coach? (laughs) (laughs) that is still my sticking point I don't think this is the man to get the best from those collective players I haven't changed my mind I don't think he's a good enough coach to get the best out of the current crop of Manchester United players, and I don't think spending time, money, and effort on this man will get him there. But talk to me. What do you see happening in 2024, realistically? What do you think United finish? Is there hopes for the FA Cup? I think there's hopes for the FA Cup, and there's hopes for top four. Okay. I definitely do. I think... I've always said give Eric Ten Hag at least to the end of the season. Yep, you However, have. I will jump onto your boat if when all those players are back and the football is still patchy. Yeah. When I see a pattern of play and consistency and those players playing for each other instead of individuals yeah, I have, I have hope for next year. I have hope for... for uh, I think once we get the main players, and for me the main players, Casemiro and Martinez, 
once they're back, I think you will see a much better, much better fluidity in that team. And I that would agree with hopium. that. I mean, that's, that's not hopium. That's that's sense. Yeah. I mean, Christian Eriksen changed Manchester United when he came back there against Aston Villa. Quality players. Yeah, totally. But I still would go back to first half against Aston Villa in the West Ham game. Do you know it's a funny old game? Because so many people have told me, you're so negative on our podcast and you're totally ten hag out and so negative about Manchester United. And I had a few people text me then, a few hopium experts text me at the West Ham game and go, maybe you're right. Oh my God, you're right. And you know what? The West Ham game was the first game where I thought, no, 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 he's got excuses this game. He's playing Willie Quambley. You know, you can't get on his back for this one. The West Ham game, I actually backed down and thought, no, he has an excuse this week, guys. And then we go out and we beat Aston Villa. And it's Ten Hag and Glazers out all over again. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, what, what most fans of any club are flip floppers. <laughs> you, you get beaten, you go, right, sack the manager. You win, you go, oh, maybe he's the right man for the job. And I hope to come round to your side of thinking at some point, like, I would hate to go into every football game hoping this man will lose. That's not me. I just, I can't not I know, call out what I'm saying, you know. Of the team, you know. But no. I read in forums because I would read our own forums and stuff, but I read other fan forums as well. And the loud noises coming from the Newcastle fans about Eddie Howe. And rightfully so. Eddie Howe is pace. underachieved. But um, Arteta, that result last night. Oh my God. Do you know what? In Eddie Howe's defence, right? Newcastle have an injury crisis this season. The same as a couple of other teams around them. And look at the Tottenham result last night. Tottenham were decimated by Brighton because they have an injury crisis. The entire spine of their team is gone. Eddie Howe is holding that team together and Newcastle are still standing around at top four debate. They're in the same position as us. They have a lot of work to do, but they're still in around it. You take the full strength Newcastle team, write it out in a piece of paper, right, and hold it up against the teams they're competing with and realise that Eddie Howe is consistently punching above his weight. Oh, big time. His team is nowhere near the standard of the rest of us. He shouldn't even be in the debate of Manchester United, Liverpool, Man City, even you could argue, make an argument for Chelsea, that Chelsea have a better squad. But he's there. And that's what you need to realise. Oh yeah, I agree with you. He got them into it. But that's, what, that's the point I was trying to make, right? The only difference Someone between Ten Hag and Eddie Howe is Eddie Howe lost last year's Carabao Cup. True. How many points are we ahead of Newcastle? Oh, one or two, one. I think. You know what I mean? So, Newcastle and Manchester United are in the same position. I don't think Eddie Howe deserves... The flack that he's getting if Ayrton Hag is not going to be getting the same flack from oh, any Manchester United fan. Just no, but from a fan in our own fan base, as a Manchester United fan, don't be shitting on Eddie Howe, guys. Eddie Howe's doing the exact same as our manager's doing. And in my opinion, is coming from a much worse place in the sense that he's taken over the new Newcastle project that is brand new and in its infancy and has suffered the same injury crisis as ourselves. And he's still in the same spot. Bar the fact they put us out of the Carabao Cup and had a harder Champions League grip, in my opinion. But I think this back half of the season, if Manchester United stick with Ayrton Hag, is going to be a close-cut, tight race for top four where we marginally miss out. Because I don't think we're better than Arsenal, City, Liverpool or Tottenham. I don't think we're better than Spurs. Well, I think it'll be a close-cut, marginal get in their top four. It'd be brilliant to see. It'd be interesting to see if that's the standard that... Brailsford and do you know what I'm really excited for in the back half of this DNA's takeover so many people are giving this a negative spin oh, now I and saying it's, it's not positive. I think it's positive absolutely get football and people into those positions and run the show properly 
I mean, what, is this not what we wanted? Yes. There's no more like over, you know, sketchy ethics. There's no more over, oh, you're... Buying you know, players because of commercial value. Yeah, you're a Middle Eastern club. We're taking in a man who wants to invest 300 million in our infrastructure. Tech. We wanted that. Is looking at a new stadium structure in terms of, do we renovate Old Trafford? Is Big Old Trafford tech. undoable? Do we take a new stadium in? They're talking about this new £2 billion venture to make it the greatest experience in football tech and they're talking about rebuilding the football club as a whole in terms of football operations and David Brailsford's philosophy of marginal gains tech yeah but you're taking business you're taking a very successful businessman in who could draw other successful businessmen in with capital yeah bang on we all know that the Glazers don't spend any money right but if Jim Radcliffe and as a little black book of billionaires, and they want to finance a stadium. Well, there you go. Did I read somewhere that Jim Ratcliffe in his statement to the Manchester United fans said, we won't be taking dividends for two years? Yes. We're touching, 24 months. We're here to get it right first. Yep. And if we get it right then, Look, give them are we not entitled to something? Give them a chance. I think all those ones that were in the guitar camp, right, were bitterly disappointed because the billions and billions that guitar were going to spend... I, I think Jim Ratcliffe well, is going to do it nice. properly. And I think he's going to do it from a fan perspective. Yeah. If he brings in... That's the big one, isn't it? If, yeah, if he brings in... Um, is it Jean-Claude Blanc? Jean-Claude Blanc. Big fan of that if appointment. He, apparently, the... Oh, who was it? Paul Mitchell does not want director of football. He wants head of recruitment. Now, this has come from the Telegraph. And apparently, they want... Is it Ashworth from Newcastle? But he will not be on board until the summertime. I've seen this nonsensical John Murdoch quote, and it was him trying to defend himself, I think, in terms of football operations. And when he was talking about his lack of experience in the footballing world in that transfer segment, and he turned around and said, you know, that he has so much success in terms of financial background and the years that he spent in different capacities in Manchester United. And he said, so it really comes down to what you consider experience. And I thought I'd consider experience fucking experience United has been a shit show this past 10 years you're literally telling me that you have one of the top seats at one of the top clubs in the world and you're taking previous skill sets mashing it together and going I do deserve this no No. I want Blanc I want someone who has experience of building huge commercial footballing projects alongside solid footballing routes two ideologies running in total cohesion forwards towards a, a Manchester United goal of winning trophies again. The football and the commercialism, and that's where I think Blanc has the perfect skill set and experience of other footballing clubs to come in and get this right. I'm a massive fan of that. I think it fixes so much. Yeah, John Murdo has worked under two accountants for this last X number of years. Exactly. With no accountability because the Glazers own the club. And, and as long as Man United was making money for that family, they couldn't give a shit about the club, the fans, who they brought in. Oh yes, who they brought in for commercial yeah, reasons. That's what now makes... Now they have footballing people coming in that know what they're on about. That's what makes me excited of 2024. The, the one sort of positive shining light that I have, not the one positive shining light, the one positive, positive shining light that overshines all... I think is the fact that the hierarchy at the football club has been, is going to change now for the better. Because you think about the people that were picking the people, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about a, a family based in America with no experience of soccer, 
choosing these people from a position of complete weakness because they're not aware of the market and appointing them, what gave you the right to choose the people in charge of our football club? You had no experience in it and you chose wrong consistently. Then that funnels down. Then the people underneath the Glazers, the Woodwards, the Murdas, the Arnolds, they go out and they start selecting managers and picking players to come in and play for us. What gave you the right or the experience to pick these people? Because the British government let them. The British exactly. government let that nonsense. family buy that club on debt. But One of the biggest institutions in the sporting world and they've run it nearly into the ground. Yeah, that's never... We can't... The positive light out of this is we can't change that. But what we can do is we can build something for the future. Absolutely. I, I honestly believe that Jim Ratcliffe coming in and appointing Jean-Claude Blanc alongside Paul Mitchell, alongside apparently someone else that is going to work on, uh, I think Mitchell's coming in for scouting and stuff, on transfer negotiations and have their hand in that. I think Maldini was mentioned, Dan Osborne's name is out there. That's brilliant. That's pedigree. That's people with experience in sport. Yeah. People with experience in, in running football clubs. And relationships. And experience of dealing with conflict. And experience of dealing with high-pressured scenarios. And building a network of scouts. And building a funnel of youth players to come in that supports the overall squad so that you can focus on first-team signings. I think it's a really positive move. And if Eric Ten Hag can't get it right under this one, then I think you know everyone will have to defeat on him. If they are going to stick with Ten Hag, fair enough, I'll swallow that and I'll stop talking about Ten Hag out. But I honestly believe that one of the discussions at a directorate level when this all comes down is going to be whether Eric Ten Hag's the man. If he gets to the end of the season, fair enough. If he doesn't get to the end of the season, I won't be shocked. But that's my thoughts on 2024. One thing I wanted to ask you, right? Last final parting shot. Tomorrow, if Manchester United were to get beat by Nottingham Forest, after what you've seen, I know I consistently ask this, but I'm just interested to see what the breaking point is because West Ham was the breaking point for some people. I think I said that earlier. If they're beat tomorrow by Nottingham Forest, are you still likely to not hit the eject button? I will be bitterly disappointed yeah. if Nottingham Forest beat them. But no, I won't hit the eject button. And I, for the simple reason, and I've said it in previous podcasts, I will wait until he is a full-strength squad. And I, if I was Jim Radcliffe and I was, you know, the, the Ineos, that board, I would assess him until the end of the season. And... Yeah. Then after that, it depends on where we finish in the league. And uh, uh, nothing to do, if he wins the FA Cup and loses out in top four, that to me would be very damning. That to me, there would have to be big question marks over his head. But I, mean, I think, and I'm buoyed by the fact that there will be footballing people with experience in the hierarchy at that stage. I tell you my, my biggest worry, right? And I don't think it is going to come to fruition. I can see his beating up in Forest tomorrow. I really, really can. But if if the doomsday scenario occurred, right? If they got beat by Forest, and then I think they'll get it really tough against Spurs. If they... Please God, no. But if they got two losses there, they would essentially be potentially 11 points behind Tottenham. Tottenham or fifth. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know. Now, Man City, if they win their game in hand, can put Tottenham three points off the top four. So you're talking about 14 points to top four in the middle of January. And that's, I think, where my scenario played in that we talked about in previous podcasts. But that's podcasts, what we've said, you know, even in this podcast, 
every game from here on in is, is massive. Yeah, huge. I mean, you're talking about him saving his Manchester United career in two games, the next two games. I mean, it was brilliant to beat Villa, but the league is in such a precarious position at the minute. The Manchester United fans need to be really realistic. If he can't beat Forrest tomorrow, it's mega because Tottenham are going to be a hard proposition in two weeks. Tottenham will have a few players back by that stage, but then so will we. And then all of a sudden we're up are against we the... against Tottenham? Almost certain we are. We are, yeah. They're home. Old Trafford, yeah. I second guess myself. But anyway, it has been nice to get back at it, even though I feel absolutely grim and will probably take a nap after this podcast. <laughs> Typical man. I swear, it's pure man flu. I yeah. do. It's not man flu. It's, it's a horrible... I hope our listeners, I hope you don't get it, because it is very hard to shake. No, and I the admit. is horrendous. I'll admit the man flu, it's, it's man flu. I tell you how I know it's man flu. Because see, every time that I wake up, I invent a new symptom in my head. And then I start to believe that I actually have that symptom. So it's like an evolving virus. Even though, yeah, even yeah. though uh, the doctor says just chest infection. I'm like, no, you're wrong. So much more. Oh, yeah, because like, the doctor can diagnose you properly over the phone. Well, yeah, the footballers are dropping my flies at the minute. So it is definitely the round. So all the lads are getting man flu. And there is a virus going around. But anyway, we'll be back for the usual game analysis tomorrow for Nottingham Forest. Check us on Insta, Twitter, and give us a wee like, whether you're listening on Apple Music or Spotify. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.